Last week, I began just a little mini-series, a two-part series. We're going to conclude that today, talking from the Word about the Word of God, from the Bible about the Bible. And the reason I wanted to do that, taking a a little extended pause here from our study through Romans, is that I just see in our culture, our world, particularly in our culture, that what we have done, and I'm not pointing a finger at anybody, I mean our culture in general, is one of the pervasive, deep-seated problems is that we have come to the position where we say as a country there's no absolute truth. The truth is relative. Really, truth can be defined by every man, every woman as it sees fit to them. The problem with that is it's just not true. There is an absolute truth. And what we need to be about as a church body, as a group of believers, is that we need to be building our life continually more and more upon the firm foundation truth of God's Word. And so what I began last week is I just began to talk to you about some evidences about this book that give strong indication, validation, proof, if you will, that this is in fact not just an extraordinary book, but that it is actually the very words of God that you hold in your hand when you hold this book. And I want to continue that topic. Last week we talked about the character of the Bible And I just want to talk to you this morning about four or five additional validations that if you will think clearly, think reasonably about the truth of what is being proclaimed and what God's Word says, that you will come to the deep conclusion for your own life that this is nothing short but the very words of God to me, to us. The first thing that I would say to validate that, and I believe this is probably the greatest piece of evidence that what we hold in our hands when we hold this book is the very words of God. I believe the greatest piece of evidence for that is that Jesus Christ himself has made a statement, he's made some direct statements about this word right here. He has endorsed this word, telling us directly that the Bible is God's perfect and complete word to man. If you're taking notes, I would write that down as your first point this morning, that Jesus said the Bible is God's perfect and complete word to man. The first thing that I would say to set this up is that Jesus, if you want the highest authority on the subject, look to the highest authority 
who is Jesus Christ. I mean, think through that logically. Why should we highly value the opinion of Jesus Christ authoritatively and take his opinion as the greatest opinion about what we have in this word? Let me just give you a few reasons why you should take what Jesus says as the greatest, the highest, the most undeniable authority. First of all, because Jesus is the one whom the Jewish guards were sent to arrest and came back and said, to those that had sent them, never has a man spoken like this man. You should take Jesus as the authority because Jesus' authoritative commands brought demons. Listen, when he spoke and commanded, he brought demons into full and immediate obedience. Right? I mean, when he directed, when he commanded them, every time they did immediately and completely what he told them to do. That's an incredible sign of authority. It is by the words of Jesus that the crippled legs that had never walked begin to walk and begin to run and begin to leap and jump and praise God. That's authority. We should listen to Jesus and his opinion as authoritative because Jesus is the one that looked into the fury of the storm, looked the tempest in the eye, and commanded it to be at peace. And the raging wind and waves immediately went to a sea of glass. That's authority. We should listen to Jesus' opinion as authoritative because he stood outside of a friend's tomb who had been four days on the other side of the threshold of death. And he called out in his authoritative voice across the threshold of death and he broke the unbreakable chains. He shattered them to pieces when he called his friend Lazarus out from the tomb. You see, Jesus Christ is the co-equal, co-eternal one with the Father. Here's what Colossians says. Colossians says that Jesus Christ is the one through whom all things were created, number one. Number two, he was the one for whom all things were created. Number three, it is in Jesus that all things hold together. Ladies and gentlemen, why should you listen to Jesus' opinion as the most authoritative opinion in the universe? Because this is true. He is the one God-man, God in the flesh. He's God. He is the one with all authority. And so here's the question. What did Jesus Christ, the one who holds all authority, what did Jesus Christ say about the nature of the Bible? First of all, what did Jesus Christ say about the Old Testament? 
The Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, this is what was the list of books that the Jews held to in the days of Jesus Christ when he walked the shores of Palestine is what they held to as the word of God to them. What did Jesus say about that body of literature that we have precisely as it is in our Old Testament? Jesus, after his resurrection, came up beside two men that were walking on the road to Emmaus, men that were downcast, men that had been believers in him but had seen him crucified and who had their hopes dashed and he came up beside them and began to talk to them. And listen to what he said in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Let me just give you some understanding about what these phrases here mean. In verse 27, when Jesus said, beginning with Moses and the prophets, see the Jews had a few titles that they used to identify all of the writings that they had in their Old Testament. And they called them a few different things. They were either Moses and the prophets or the law and the prophets, which we just saw in the first verse there. Or secondly, the law or Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. That was the designation understood by the Jew as reference to that body of literature that we have now in our Old Testament. And what did Jesus call that body of literature? In verse 27, he says, it says that he interpreted to them in all the scriptures referring to Moses and all the prophets. So in other words... Jesus was calling the writings that we now have in our Old Testament, that canon of Scripture that the Jews had, Jesus was endorsing that as, in fact, being the, quote, Scriptures. In other words, they were the very words of God. Jesus gave that endorsement in that statement. That Moses and the prophets, or Moses, his law, the prophets and the Psalms were, in fact, the scriptures, the very words of God. He made that direct authoritative, he put that direct authoritative stamp on that body of material in its entirety in those two statements right there. But listen, this is critical. Not only did Jesus claim that the Old Testament, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna grab it right here. There's the Old Testament. That was the Bible in the days of Jesus right there. Not only did Jesus claim that this body of literature contained the words of God, that's true, but not only did he validate and endorse that it claimed, contained the words of God, but something else very significant, that it perfectly contained 
the words of God without error. That it perfectly contained the words of God without error. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Jesus said, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Let me just give you a couple phrases there. Iota, the word translated in the English for iota is referencing there in the Hebrew, the smallest letter in the Hebrew al alphabet. The smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then the word translated dot is really a reference to the least part of the least letter. The least part of the least letter. So this is what Jesus was saying right there. Referring to calling the Old Testament the law, he said not the least letter of the law, not even the least part of the least letter will ever fall to the ground, will ever not be true. It will always be true. It will always come to pass. You see, Jesus is making a blanket statement there that the Word of God in the Old Testament is not only containing the words of God, but they contain them perfectly. And then what did Jesus say about the New Testament? Here it gets even more explicit. He said, now wait a minute, Brad, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Jesus, Jesus' day didn't have the New Testament. New Testament hadn't been written yet. New Testament wasn't written, some of it, until 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How could Jesus make a reference to directly that the New Testament that had not even been written yet or canonized into a body of literature, how could he say that they were the very words of God? Well, let me show you. Because it is there in power, in power. Matthew chapter 6 I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 14, 26. Matthew 14, 26. This is Jesus talking to his apostles, his disciples. And he says to them, just before he is to be crucified, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Let me show you three things that are right in that verse right there that are the direct statement of Jesus validating what the Word of God is. First of all, Jesus said directly that the apostles were inspired by God. Look at it closely. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, that's the third member of the Trinity, right? Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you. Stop right there. He will teach you. Jesus said to the apostles, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and what the Holy Spirit is going to do is he's going to directly teach you. That's divine inspiration. Secondly, not only did Jesus say, that the apostles were going to be divinely inspired, but he said they were going to be comprehensively inspired. 
He will teach you how many things, church? Say it again. He will teach you all things. When the Holy Spirit comes and I'm going to send from the Father, He is going to teach you all things. He is going to give you the comprehensive truth that God wants you to have. So the apostles were divinely inspired, or would be, Jesus said. Jesus said they would not only be divinely inspired, they would be comprehensively inspired. And then number three, Jesus even said that their memory of all that Jesus said, their memory of all that Jesus said would be divinely and comprehensively inspired. Look at it. Jesus said, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Have you ever wondered, ladies and gentlemen, honestly, have you ever wondered, how do we know for sure that what we've got in the New Testament is right? I mean, the apostles didn't write it down while Jesus was saying it. They waited years and years later. I mean, I know what my memory's like. What would that look like if I was the one 60 years later trying to write down what I had heard in a three-year period of time six decades ago? It'd be a pretty short document. So how can we know that what we have is actually right? But not only that, how can we know that it is full? How can we know that it is complete, that there are no omissions? Not only that there's not any mistakes, but that it's all that was intended, that there's nothing left out. Jesus told us right here, told us right here, Jesus said that what the Holy Spirit is going to do is not only is he going to teach you all things, to his apostles, but he said he's also going to do this. He's going to bring him to your remembrance. Here's what that means. The holy, the disciples, the apostles, when they wrote the New Testament, they were not relying upon their human memory. They had actually the memory of the third person of the Trinity. I mean, just think about the impact of that reality on the validity of what we have in the Word of God. How much memory does the third member of the Trinity have? Well, here's a clue. He has the same attributes that God the Father and God the Son has, and one of them is omniscience. You know what omniscience means? It means all knowledge. So here's what that means. The Holy Spirit has a really good rememberer. Matter of fact, a perfect one an eternal one, that it doesn't matter if it's 60 years or 60 trillion eons, he has perfect recall. And Jesus said that that spirit, that omniscient spirit is going to bring to your remembrance some of the things that I said. Is that what he said? No. What did he say? All. He's going to bring, he's not only going to teach you all things, but Throughout your life, 
apostles. He's going to bring to your remembrance everything that I have communicated and said to you so that when the apostles sat down or when their scribes that they were influencing sat down to write the New Testament, they were drawing from the perfect memory of the third member of the Trinity so that not only did they say what they were supposed to say without error, but they said it also without omission. It was perfect without error and perfect without loss, without omitting one thing that needed to be said. That is an incredible, incredible doctrine from the lips of the highest authority himself on the very nature of what we have in this book right here. I'm going to take it a step further. Now, some of you are going to want to jump up and rush me off the stage when I say this, so just hang tight for 15 seconds and you'll understand. The apostles, through their teaching, we have a more complete rendition of the truth than we got from the lips of Jesus himself. That what we have in the apostles' teaching is a more complete rendition of the truth that God wanted us to have than we received from the lips of Jesus himself. And here is how I can say that. Not because the apostles knew more than Jesus. He's omniscient. But listen to what Jesus said. John 16, 12, and 13 Jesus said to his apostles, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. You see, Jesus said, man, there is more that I want to teach you about my truth, but you are just not ready for it. And the reason they weren't ready is because the Spirit of God had not been poured out upon them yet and come to dwell in them yet to in." open up their mind and the revelation of truth. They couldn't handle yet what all the things that Jesus wanted to share. But Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes, He is going to guide you and teach you all truth. All truth. So Jesus, the highest authority, testified that the apostles, the authors of the New Testament, were directly inspired by God to know His truth. They were comprehensively inspired by God to know His truth and that they would have perfect recall in knowing God's directly inspired comprehensive truth. Pretty incredible. That's a statement there about the New Testament, ladies and gentlemen, from Jesus Christ Himself, the highest authority. So Jesus, the highest authority, God in the flesh, has said both the Old Testament and the New Testament are the words of God without error and without omission. That is the highest validation that I could give to you that what you hold in your hands when you hold this book is the very words of God. Let me give you another validation. Fulfilled prophecies. Fulfilled prophecies. Let's just take the Old Testament. I don't have time. Really, I've got to start flying through these now. I'd like to tell you some 
just some detailed prophecies in the Old Testament that came to fruition hundreds of years after they were given, and they were not ambiguous prophecies. They were just precise, precise, detailed prophetic statements about what would happen, happen on a large scale, happen to kingdoms and kings and nations. But what I want to do is just refine this category down to really what is the centerpiece of it, and that is prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. That's what the Old Testament is about. It's about a look forward about the one that's going to come. And the Jews were looking, and they were longing for the Messiah to come. And here are the prophecies, just a few. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. I'm just going to read a few for you and just show you how precise they were given hundreds, some of them many hundreds of years before he came. They included that Jesus would be, the Messiah would be miraculously born, whose lineage he would be born into the specific town into which he would be born the area in which he would grow up, where he would begin his ministry at, and then the region in which he would continue his ministry, how he would be treated, that he would perform miracles, that he would be betrayed by a friend, the price that the friend would be paid for the betrayal, what would be done with that betrayal money once it was given the sign the betrayer would use to identify and turn Jesus over to the authorities, the betrayal kiss. I mean, folks, these are not ambiguous. These are precise and specific. That he would be mocked and beaten, that he would die, that his hands and feet would be pierced, that he would be crucified between two thieves, one in his right, one in his left, that the men would gamble over his clothing, having stripped him of all of his garments, that none of his bones would be broken. Not one bone of his would be broken. That he would be hidden by darkness in his death, that he would be laid in a rich man's grave, how long he would remain in the grave, that he would defeat death and rise again, and that he would ascend back into heaven. Folks, those are ambiguous. Those are miraculous. Those are precise and specific. And that's just a few of the few hundred, and all of them were perfectly fulfilled in the most perfect detail in the person of Jesus Christ. The mathematical odds on that are beyond our understanding. Even if you could hear the number, it would be beyond your understanding to grasp it. But there's another set of prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. And these aren't so easy to see, but they're even greater still. There's types typology in the Old Testament, all of the different stories, the different things that were instituted, the feasts of the Jews, the 
tabernacle of Moses. Remember, God gave Moses a very specific design on exactly how he was to build the tabernacle. It had to be precisely as God dictated. And it was given in ornate and detailed um, expression. And as you study that on this side of the cross and empty tomb, it is the most beautiful, perfect picture of the life and the atoning death and the victory that Jesus Christ provides. I, there, are, there are types like that of prophecy in the Old Testament that are from cover to cover in the Old Testament. The, the individuals of the Old Testament, Abraham and Isaac, that story of that sacrifice is just a foregleam of Calvary of the cross upon which Jesus died. David. David is a type of Christ, the king. Joseph, the deliverer out of bondage in Egypt, is a picture of Jesus' deliverance. And when you understand the stories and the deeper that you dig, it is, it is shocking and startling, the picture that was painted by the hand of God over several hundred years as he patiently through those types wove a tapestry that when the cross was completed and the tomb was emptied and Christ ascended back into heaven, the believer started to see the tapestry and say, oh my goodness, there is the picture of Jesus all over in the Old Testament. That is a validation. Folks, how could that happen? Could man, even one or two of those prophecies, get lucky enough to nail it? No, we could not. It could only come by the omniscience of God who knows the end from the beginning and inspired the men to write what they wrote. The prophecies validate the fact that what we hold in our hands when we hold this book is the very words of God. Number three, third validation is that the Bible has such a life-changing influence. The Bible and its life-changing influence. I don't have any time to unpack this. I just got to just, I'm going to give you a hot-off-the-press story from about 30 minutes ago. Between services, had an individual come up to me just in tears, not even really able to exp hardly express uh, their thoughts, just overcome with the emotion. Just, I just want to tell you, in February, I've come into this church in February. I've been a part of the church for many years. Grew up hearing the Bible taught, but just a few months ago, sitting in here, listening to the gospel of Jesus Christ explained, it just came alive to me and brought me alive. It is miraculous in that, folks. It changes life in an instant. 
because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And it does that time and time again. It goes out seemingly just words on a person's lips, but it's not just that. It is the words of God and the words of God just like they did in Genesis chapter 1. When they are spoken, they bring life. And they still are bringing life today when the truth of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. That gospel goes out and it comes to a soul dead in sin, deaf to spiritual things, blind to truth, and it reaches down and regenerates them in its life-giving, life-changing power so that in one instant they go from death to life. That's the power of the gospel. That's the proof that this is nothing but the very words of God that you hold in your hand. And then number four. Here's another validation that this is nothing but the words of God. And that is that this truth is, depth of this truth is unchartable. It's unchartable. You know what? Nothing has changed in this book for 1,900 years. Nothing has changed in this book for 1,900 years. Some of the greatest minds that ever drew breath have studied this for a lifetime and could not chart the depths of the truth here, but kept learning and gleaning to the end of their days. George Mueller. Love the story of George Mueller. Man incredibly used by God. Long time ago, he said, reported that he'd read the Bible through more than a hundred times from cover to cover. And he said, every time I read it, every time I read it, it's more fresh than the last time. What human book can you read more than two or three times? And it is old and stale. But folks, not only has one man not charted this, but for 1,900 years Tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of expositions have been written on this truth and all together they have not yet charted the depths of this truth. What could, what could be the cause of that? Here's the cause of it. Because it's not man's words. It's God's words. It's eternal words. A book that man produces, man can exhaust. A book that God authors, man will never exhaust. Let me end with this validation. Kind of bookend this. We started with the testimony of the second member of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's end with the testimony of the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own 
authority. Listen to that again. Jesus said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, if you're committed when you come to this word, that this is the word of God and you're committed that what you read and understand, you're going to obey. If that is you, then you will know whether this teaching is from God or not. Some of you, if I called on you, could testify to this right here. There's a lot of logical evidence, reasonable proof like I've already shared, and so much more that could be given to validate the fact that that's the very words of God. But the greatest proof to the heart is when the Spirit of God testifies to your heart, this is the truth of God. It is the unarguable voice. It's the unarguable voice. And to those who are committed to doing the will of God, as they learn the word of God, the spirit of God is going to do that. He's going to seed it deep in your being, in your knower, that what you've got right here is absolutely nothing other than the very words of God. Jesus said it like this, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. This then being the very words of God, the perfect word of God without error and the complete word of God without omission. This being the very words of God. What should be your posture and practice toward this word? Let me give it to you in what one sentence four statements. Know the word in your head. Stow the word in your heart. Show the word in your life. And sow the word in your world. Know it in your head. Store it in your heart. Show it in your life. And sow it in your world. If it is really the word of God, that is the reasonable response that you and I should have to this word right here. Would you please stand, worship team, would you come? Father, thank you that you have in your wisdom chosen to leave us with your divine communication. Communication that you presided over so that it came to us in perfection and in completeness. Lord, help us not to treat it flippantly, but to Open it, read it, to understand it, to live it, and to share it with other people so that we can see its mighty power working toward your glory.
Christ's name I pray. Amen.